Hello, everybody. Blue Jay here, JNT250 right there, and Clown Fiesta Podcast right now. Episode 27 is underway. And also, we are now two weeks into the LCS lock-in tournament. Week three is approaching us. So we will recap the quarterfinals that just happened, and we will preview the semis and the finals that are about to happen next weekend. Uh, before we get into that, though, we wanted to talk a little bit about the LCS viewership because uh, I've seen a few Reddit threads and also just in Twitch chat some concerns about the LCS viewership. I personally am not all that concerned. JNT, are you concerned about the LCS viewership or not really? Not really at the moment right now. I think one thing that people have to consider a little bit is even though, you know, this is like it's a tournament and we're all going we are going into best of series like this is also the preseason. So like these games still don't actually count. You know, you, you could argue that although they are best of series, they're maybe not as hype as like actual important regular season matches are. So I don't know. I think obviously, you know, the viewership is going to be a different, a bit different. And one thing I think that also affects is because of the whole rebrand and them shifting to moving their broadcast to the LCS specific channel, both on uh, Twitch and YouTube. They both now only run on, on this LCS only channel. So people may not be as apt to like, that is the channel that they follow or that is the channel they're sub to so they don't get that notification or that's not the stream they go to initially. And I feel like there's a lot of factors that play into it, but I think the main reason is that we technically are still in the preseason. Yeah, I think the, the biggest one that you mentioned there would be for the YouTube side of things with a brand new YouTube channel. Like they always had the LCS Twitch channel, but they haven't always had this LCS YouTube channel. I think that's a big part why YouTube viewership is much uh, lower than normal. There's also other things that go into it. Um, there's a lot of comparison about the LCS viewership with the LEC viewership. And I think for good reason, like they're both the English speaking broadcasts and a lot of the viewership is intertwined. Like North American viewers would watch Europe and vice versa. Um, but one thing that I wanted to point out for the people that are all concerned, because there's a lot of people that are concerned about uh, viewership is so much lower because Bjergsen isn't playing anymore or Doublelift isn't playing anymore. I, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Um, there's lots of different reasons, but let, let's start with one. Uh, the NFL is also having their playoffs right now, and I know not all esports fans watch traditional sports, but I would say a pretty good amount of them do. Even you and I, JNT, were like trying to flip back and forth between the NFL playoffs yeah. and the LCS at the same time because, like, it's both things you really want to watch. And so I think that when on Sunday, uh, there's playoff football happening in North America. I think that's definitely going to hurt viewership, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely agree. Although, like our primary focus is you know watching the LCS games, partially because we're big fans of the LCS, and you know we need to watch these games in terms of you know seeing them and dissecting them, and then speaking about it on this podcast. But we both are avid NFL fans, so we did kind of find ourselves in a spot where. You know, in like the TL uh, FlyQuest series, we realized it was just like so over and like FlyQuest was going to get destroyed. Like we just flipped over to the football game and same thing kind of happened with the EG Golden Guardians series. Like once we knew it was over, like we'd flip to the we'd flip to the game. So, yeah, I, I don't I, think that would. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and I, I think that will continue Um, like whenever there's any like primetime sports going on, like your, your numbers are going to get hurt because primetime traditional sports are like the focus of like 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 when there's primetime games on whether it's like a friday night a saturday night a sunday night whether it's like nba basketball college football nfl football or anything like that like 
that is what the majority of people are doing at that time. Yeah, I definitely agree. And again, I want to go back to the comparison that people are always making. Well, the LEC has this many viewers versus North America. First of all, let's be honest. The LEC is a better league. I don't think it is miles ahead of the LCS like a lot of people think. I do think it's a lot closer than people would say. But the reason why we watch Pro League of Legends is because we want to see, see the game played at the highest level. Like, there's a reason why we're not just watching, like, Diamond Solo Queue right now or Platinum Solo Queue. It's because <laughs> it's not the best that you can see. And so, obviously, the LEC, in my opinion, should have higher viewership since it is more of a premier league. But I would also add that North American viewers can watch the European uh, scene a lot easier, seeing as, like, at 12 noon, the LEC is on 12 noon EST, that is. Whereas, like, when the LCS starts, for European fans, the LCS starts at 12 midnight. Like, then you have to stay up from midnight till about 5 a.m., sometimes 6 a.m. if you want to watch all the games. And so, basically, my point there is that it's easier for North American fans to watch the European scene than it is for European fans to watch the North American. And that could be another reason for the discrepancy. Yeah, I just want to jump back to your earlier point you just made there and talking about how the LEC is a better league overall. And I think... In terms of viewership, that's one of the biggest factors that you can have is because since it's a much more competitive league, it makes all of the games much more exciting. Like yeah. for the last, I want to say at least like three years in the LCS, whenever we've seen any matchup that consists of bottom teams, like like just off the top of your head, when you see like Immortals CLG matches, Golden Guardians Dignitas matches, when FlyQuest wasn't as good, when, when FlyQuest was playing a bottom team, it just sort of gives you this feeling going into the match that you know it's going to be a lower quality of game. It's not going to be as exciting of a game as a as a TL, C9, or TSM game would be. And also in turn, since the bottom teams are much worse, it also makes their games against the top teams less exciting. Because you kind of yeah, go you, you, you go into the match with the notion, like the preconceived notion that, okay, C9, TL, or TSM is going to stomp this team and it's not going to be close. So once a game might get going and there's like a 3k gold lead within 5-10 minutes, you kind of know the game's over and you might close the stream. Whereas I think if you look at a lot of the LEC matches, the LEC is very competitive, even from like 10th place to 7th place in terms of who's going to make playoffs. There's a ton of, you know, variance in the LEC in terms of what teams make the playoffs, their playoff seedings. We, we specifically saw that last year when we had Mad Lions and Rogue were actually sitting above both G2 and Fnatic in terms of playoff performance, although when the playoffs actually happened, G2 and Fnatic ended one and two. But it really showed how competitive that league is and how exciting the matches even between uh, a G2 and a bottom team can be because you know we do see very many upsets in the LEC and it just naturally creates a lot more excitement. Yeah, I, I would agree. The matches are more competitive on average. Um, and the last thing for me that I want to talk about when it comes to this specifically, I, I need to point out that co-streams seem to be a lot more popular in the North American scene than in the European scene. Um, Doublelift tweeted out at one point this weekend that his stream got up to 40,000 viewers. Let, let that sink in. 40,000 viewers is a lot of viewership to not be on the main LCS stream, right? Yeah, that, so, it's it's at least like anywhere between twenty to thirty percent of the average LCS viewership on a game, and that's right. you know, and taking so away from up, the, the riot broadcast itself. Yeah, and when you're adding up all the big co-streamers, because it's not just Doublelift, right? There's there, we've talked about LS and and I will dominate co-streaming. 
There's Medios and Sneaky. I think they're still co-streaming. I, I, I guess I haven't actually looked into it this year. I'm pretty sure I saw Medios co-streaming. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about Sneaky, but I would imagine that they would still be interested in doing that. And those are like that's five names right there that will garner a lot of viewership that won't be on the main LCS broadcast. And so when I look at the LCS and I see 130k viewers, I to me I'm not that worried about like is the LCS going to die off or anything like that. I think that that is more than good enough viewership. And yeah, I think there's a lot of good explanations for why it's sitting around that number. Yeah, I, I do want to, again, not to flame the LCS broadcast, because trust me, we've done plenty of that. But I do think it also, you know, it does help the LEC in terms of viewership that their overall broadcast, since they are in their studio, it just makes it naturally like higher quality and people are more yeah. attuned to keep like staying with the stream throughout the breaks, throughout the analyst desk, throughout the post-game analysis, than it is an NA. Like there's a slew of like technical issues that have happened in the past. Plus uh like they've added a bunch more like actual like three minute breaks in between games. Cause like there's a three minute break right right at the end of the game. Then there's a post-game interview. Then there's another break. And I do think part of that is viewers might rather jump to a different stream, whether that's a co-streamer or just a, a, a different sort of source of entertainment altogether to maybe get a different opinion as opposed to like having there and sitting there and waiting all the time just to just to hear the analyst desk. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's a, it's a really good point. Uh, anything else you add before we want to hop over to another topic? I think, I think that's good. All right, so let's get into the final day of what was, I guess we could call it the round robin of last week because the the format of this tournament was a little bit weird. So on Friday, we still had the remaining five games. Um, for some reason, FlyQuest had two games. We went over that last week. But um, what were your takeaways from the last day of round robin on Friday before the quarterfinals started Saturday, Sunday? Yeah, it kind of actually turned out to be a little advantageous for FlyQuest that they only had to play two games because they got Jose Diodo back for the other two games. Um, yeah. He was a player coming in. He obviously had visa issues uh, the first week. But they, we, it kind of got revealed. I think it was like on Thursday. It was either Thursday or Wednesday. It was very, very soon before it was the Friday that Jose Diodo had arrived in the states and that he was going to actually start on that Friday, having very limited scrim time. And you know, it was you know, very hype for FlyQuest. People were really excited to actually see this guy get into the roster because people viewed him as the most important piece, and obviously he's playing one of the most important roles in League of Legends the jungle position, which is super, super important for pro play. And we saw his debut get off to not so good of a start <laughs> when FlyQuest had that uh, invade against EG um, in the blue side jungle. He was playing Olaf. Ignar kind of managed to sneak into that uh, new little brush uh, with Thresh and Flay Jose Diodo like two times to bring him back. And he got first blooded. And it was it was just really hilarious how the whole sequence of events happened because chat was spamming about Jose Diodo for like probably 15 <laughs> to 20 minutes about like was like it was something I forget. It was like it was like something with Dorito and Jose Diodo. I don't remember what it was, but it was just really funny to see like all the hype going into it and like everyone was getting hyped in chat. And then it's like one it's like the first thing into the game and he's getting first blooded. I wonder if that is actually the quickest death in any LCS debut because he died about a minute 40 or something like that into the game. And 
while obviously that's not a record you want to have, it's a definitely a funny record if, if it is the case. But let's be honest, though, that wasn't necessarily on Jose Diodo. We're not flaming him for dying so quickly. It actually could have been any of the FlyQuest members that went for the invade. They went for an invade. It's a risk. He died. Like, it happens. It's not like he fell super behind because he was Olaf, right? And Olaf can power farm and not too fall behind... Far not fall too far behind in the jungle so it wasn't the end of the world but it's just a funny little thing um but i do want to point out that uh even though i don't think jose diodo absolutely popped off i think uh, i think that was the feeling because he got a baron seal and stuff like that um i didn't think he was a liability and i think that's the was the most important thing about his his debut um while i don't think it was anything spectacular it was definitely an upgrade over their academy jungler nxi who definitely seemed lost last weekend when we watched him and I think that was a big part in why we saw FlyQuest able to to pick up those uh, those two wins and actually move on in, in the tournament um, from the Friday games. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing or the biggest like improvement I saw out of FlyQuest in that first game specifically was Licorice in the top lane. He was, I don't really know what to say, like he was super non-impactful in AFK in his first two games uh, with FlyQuest, I think. Like I said last time, he had a KDA of 0.60 over the course of two games. And we really saw like FlyQuest get dominated from like top to bottom in their first two games. And I think going into the second week, you know, specifically Licorice had a really good first two games to close out this round robin uh, uh, playing the AP Gragas in this first game. And also we saw Johnson and Diamond kind of, you know, it seemed that they got a little bit of synergy now. Uh, they didn't, you know, get 2v2 killed like early and often like they had in their previous two games. So I think, you know, all around, you know, FlyQuest kind of came into this week, kind of revitalized with Jose Diodo coming in as their new jungler. Yeah, and while we'll talk about their series against TL in a little bit, because that definitely didn't carry over to that series. But for those first two games on Friday that they played, we saw a different FlyQuest. And your point is exactly right. Licorice looked really good, which was nice. And I, I honestly think that um, the bot lane looked great as well. Johnson and, and Diamond really did not look good last week. And the Seraphine-Misfortune uh, combo was fantastic. They looked really good on it. Johnson was absolutely popping off. Mostly to me, in my opinion, mostly due to the setup and the Seraphine ultis coming from Diamond. But nonetheless, uh, Johnson was getting fed, quite fed. And so I think that that bot lane performed really well. Uh, that was one of the big takeaways for me from the last day of round robin. Um, the other thing that really popped out in my mind uh, that went a little bit under the radar was actually Dignitas. Um, even though they did not move on, I actually didn't think they looked that bad in their series against Cloud9. Um, I thought that they looked okay. Dardock was Dardock ended up getting caught at the... There was a fight for Soul. So I want to remind people that in the game against Cloud9, Dignitas was actually up three dragons to zero. And Cloud9 was actually struggling to close out the game against a team that didn't even move on. So uh, a little bit of disappointment out of Cloud9 in that game, but also a little bit of credit needs to go the way of Dignitas because I think that that's a matchup that they should get absolutely owned in. Um, yeah, Afro was, had such a great start to the game and such a bad end. It was yeah. very hit or miss. He was making a lot of plays. And then as soon as Dardock got picked off that one time uh, due to the really nice Alistair uh, play by Vulcan, one of many, uh, as soon as that play happened, you just felt the whole game start to fall apart. And next thing you know, Afro, who had one death in the probably the first 25 minutes of the game, ended with six deaths in the next, like, I don't know, 10 minutes of the game or something like that. It just, yeah. it was such a quick turn. Yeah, it just felt that 
Dignitas didn't really know how to properly like set up their objectives. Like as you mentioned, they were up three drags to nothing, and I think that was kind of uh, C9's decision to focus, you know, heavier top side. We've kind of we'll talk about this a bit later, but we've really seen Cloud Nine put a lot of priority on the first two Rift Heralds as opposed to the first two Dragons. So quite often we're actually seeing Cloud Nine go for these two Rift Heralds early if they feel that they're not going to get a drag fight on equal footing or if they have low vision. But, you know, it kind of felt like when Dignitas was actually threatened by C9 in terms of setting up in terms of major objectives, because if you look at that game, C9 kind of gave away the first two Drakes. And into that third one, I think, I don't really exactly remember what happened, uh, but Dignitas ended up getting it. But specifically around that fourth one, they kind of just, they had all the Drake vision, they had the setup, but as C9 just like slowly started to threaten them and walk forward with the potential Alstar engage, uh, like it kind of just felt like dig got scared and they backed off like we were watching the games just saying like they have gp thresh syndrome like there's no way that cloud9 should be able to just blindly walk into their faces and you sort of saw as c9 was pushing mid dignitas had full control of the blue and red side jungle with wards with control wards along the whole line going into that river and it just felt that like Saligo specifically and Aphromoot, they kind of just started to back off. They didn't really throw out a lot of skill shots to like threaten Cloud9 from like blindly walking in. And you slow you slowly saw Dignitas lose that vision. And then, you know, one misstep by Dardock and Vulcan just like pull like headbutt pulv comboing him. And the game was kind of just over from there. You kind of saw Dignitas get super, super reserved when they felt threatened by Cloud9. And again, it was one of those feelings, like, once Cloud9 won that fight and got that Drake, it, it was just one of those feelings you get that you know that it's just, they're just going to lose from here. Yeah, and you, I think you're completely right. I, I agree with you 100% as to the fact that, like, it felt like Dignitas was playing scared when they did have the three drags over Cloud9. Um, I do want to play Devil's Advocate, not because I think it's correct, but I just, uh, to understand, understand Dignis, Dignitas's side of things, um... We saw Vulcan's Alistair be absolutely insane over the weekend. And so maybe I understand why they were a little bit scared. However, if you're playing scared when you have that lead, I don't think you're you're going to win the game ever. And I think you need to be able to control the, uh, the area that you had control of in the first place. You can't just keep backing up, backing up, and giving Cloud9 all that vision like you just mentioned. And so uh, my takeaway for, for Dignitas is that they're close to being able to be a good team. I just think they need to be a little bit less afraid. Um, that's what I got from that game. But uh, anyways, I didn't feel like Dignitas was a team that deserved to not move on in the lock-in round robin. Let's just yeah, it, it was kind of just unfortunate that they lost that match to Immortals just because it. that's just what ended up ended up being the the tiebreaker scenario that you know they didn't move on was since they were both immortals and dignitas were both one and three and immortals had that head-to-head -head over them immortals moved on and as as we're about to jump into this topic you know immortals was playing their full academy team and didn't work it didn't really work yeah so let's get into the actual quarterfinals matchups if, you, if you're good to yeah yeah so you good with mm -hmm. that all right let's start off with 100 thieves versus immortals um yeah you just mentioned it uh again they got their academy roster starting. What what else is new? Um, this was an absolute stomp, and some of the other series were as well. But this one was an absolute stomp. Um, closer was absolutely popping off. Uh, that's something you come to expect when you're playing against an academy jungler. But, I mean, he had like 13 kills or something like that on an Italy. That's not something you should come to expect in just any game, honestly. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this series was pretty much the closer show. Um, I, I thought Immortals, they actually did a decent job in the first game in terms of keeping it close. And I think part of that had to do with 100 Thieves not exactly knowing how to play around this like double uh, Staff of Flowing Water uh, Moonstone Renewer comp. Very often in this game, we actually saw 100 Thieves like diving in. Like they were playing their comp correctly, but it felt like yeah. it was uh, like... Immortals just kept kind of living with a sliver of HP and then would constantly get topped up by like Seraphine heals, Karma shields, and in turn like proccing the, the Moonstone Renewer. And they ended up like making actually a game out of the first game somewhat in terms of like early team fights. Uh, but yeah, I, I, there's not much to say other than that. Like the 100 Thieves just looked so much better than Immortals, like with every facet in the game in terms of laning team fighting, objective control, like just like 1v1 outplaying their opponents. And it kind of just seemed like Immortals, they had a little bit of a cheese going on in terms of this game with like the Staff of Flowing Water build to like make it a bit close because I feel like this game could have been way more one-sided than it was. So what I will say about 100 Thieves is even though they looked great and they snowballed the games fairly easily, I do want to see what they could do against a, a better team because... They draft the TF alt, right? And I think in both games, they just dove bot lane as soon as TF was mm -hmm. level six. Yeah. And that's something that's not new, right? Like this is like, if so, if a team drafts Twisted Fate, guess what? He's going to be diving level six. Like you need to be ready for that roam. And I, I believe, I don't know if Immortals played the the, uh, the Lucian twice into it. Um, I know they definitely played it once and they weren't able to really punish the roams whatsoever. Like, the, the amount of pressure that you want to get out of that Lucian in the mid lane against a TF was really not there um, from Pretty. And so it just didn't matter. They would roam bot and snowball the game like that. That's not something I think you could do as easily against other teams. And that's why, I, while I want to give all the credit to 100 Thieves, I'm waiting to say they're absolutely a top tier team uh, until I could see them do it against a better team. You know what I'm saying? Um, they did look good against TL last week. So like they have beaten a good team. But I need to see it on a little bit more of a consistent level to say that they are uh, a top-tier team. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like uh, this current style that 100 Thieves is going for is a little bit comparable to what TSM was doing at the end of the summer split from last year. Like whenever, and Twisted like, Fate, right? like whenever TSM locked in Renekton, Nidalee, and a roaming mid laner, you 100% instantly knew that they are going top level four. And then they are re they are rediving top again when Bjergsen hits six, and it kind of feels like that's like this like not to say that that's a bad strategy or anything, but when you are playing this comp and you are going to be playing this way, it's on the other team to realize like you should know what this team is trying to do and have some way to defend it because like you said like Immortals like they just got four v two dived both times in, in game one and game two with the same exact play, and then like bot lane is just kind of over from there. When you get 4v2 dived, you die twice, you lose a stacked wave, and then you, you, you in turn like lose first dragon out of it. The game is pretty much over if if the if the team who makes that play is just that much better than you. Yeah, I guess I'm not disappointed that it happened once. I'm disappointed that it happened twice, right? Because yeah. if you don't have a... First of all, if you let that through, you should have a way to defend it. And if you don't have a way to defend it, you shouldn't be letting it through a second time unless you definitely have a way to defend it. And they clearly didn't. So yeah. that's where I was a little bit disappointed. But I do want to give a little bit of praise. Um, you and I kind of went back and forth about the the matchup with the Camille Jacks uh, earlier. And I think that uh, I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I think um, you have to give credit 
to Tapun for being able to win the Camille Jacks matchup, but also uh, a little bit of like, come on, someday you should win that matchup because I think that that is a matchup that is Jacks favored. However, Tapun played it great and he actually did win the lane. Uh, we ended up seeing someday absolutely pop off later and get a quadra yeah. kill on Jacks. But for the laning phase, I think that Tapun looked really good and I think that he deserves some credit for that. So that's something that, um, even though like Tapun will be their academy top laner, I think that that's something that uh, Immortals fans should be excited about is that he was able to pick, play into someday a very good top laner, play into a matchup that is not great for Camille and win that matchup pretty, pretty hard. So uh, pretty good props to him. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Tapun played the early laning phase of that matchup really, really well in terms of like the small nuanced trades that you need to do in Jax versus Camille. Like Tapun would hook shot in, um, predicting predicting that Jax would stun to instantly back off and W and then like the Jax stun would run out and then you would like walk up and like uh, double like auto reset with Camille Q. I think he played the early laning phase really well, but you kind of just saw like how that matchup works and how much harder Jax can scale on Camille with. Like someday was literally jumping into four people with Sterax Gage and with like try for with um sorry triumph and conquer and would just like out life steal the entire enemy team like he would he would he, he just didn't like top would jump on him like hundred uh, immortals would try to follow up on the engage and like somebody would be just standing in the middle of four people life stealing like just life stealing on them and he would just come out like with one hp kill a guy get triumphed kill another guy get triumphed and then it's like over from there like the game just quickly turned from being like slightly immortals favored and you kind of saw like with the like, there was just a, f a switch that flipped, and, like, Jax just started hard winning the matchup, and, like, this game got, like, a crazy number of kills. I don't really remember, but it was basically, like, a kill a minute by the end of it. Yeah. One one last thing that I actually forgot to mention about the specific Jax versus Camille matchup is that, basically, if you're Camille, you can't use your elastic slingshot, or E, if you will. You can't use elastic that to engage slingshot. on the I think that's what it's called, isn't it? Dude, Anyways, you you're thinking of Zaki, dude. Oh, dude, I am. Whoops. Camille. Anyways, it's hookshot wall dive. Hookshot. Anyways, um, you can't use that on the jacks if he still has his E because, well, obviously he'll just dodge all your autos and he'll basically just out trade you. And something that someday was doing was he was baiting out that ability many times to get Tapoon to engage on him, and he never bit once when he had closer sitting with him like in the river. So I just wanted to give more props because he was actually very patient in a matchup where someday was clearly trying to bait him into engaging. So mm -hmm. that was something else that I wanted to give props to Tapoon for just another way that he played the matchup really well. And yes, the, the elastic slingshot kick W yeah. uh, for those that don't know, I'm a really big Zach player. So <laughs> yikes. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, anything else on that matchup that you want to talk about before we move on? Yeah, I just thought that the Immortal solo laners were actually, like, pretty solid. Um, I think it was, like, really obvious how just outclassed they were in jungle and bot lane. And you yeah. kind of just saw that in the early game. But I, I, yeah. I think, you know, in terms of the solo laners that Immortals have, if for whatever reason um, their success with Insanity and Revenge, you know, doesn't work out, or even if just one of them, I think they, they do have solid replacements, potentially. Yeah. Anyways, next up, we got EG versus Golden Guardian. Um, another 2-0. I wouldn't consider this one as much of a stomp, would you? Yeah, not, not as stompy, mainly just because the the first game was kind of close. Yeah. Uh, th this was actually kind of similar to what we saw last week, where Golden Guardians can keep it together for the first little bit of the game. And then once things start to fall apart, they really start to fall apart. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Um, anyways, I, I want to talk about the top lane matchup uh, specifically. Um, look, we talked last week about how Impact had looked great. I don't really think much changed. I think he looked great again this weekend. Maybe not as good, but still great nonetheless. And I think we're starting to see where Golden Guardians is going to struggle. Uh, we see Niles getting some good matchups and not really getting too many advantages with them, whether it's giving him the Quinn into the Renekton or giving him the Jace. Um, not enough advantages to warrant the counterpick. Would you agree or disagree with that? I Here's my thing. Um, I, I really dislike the Golden Guardian's game plan of picking Niles in, in a vacuum, an advantageous matchup, whether that be the Quinn versus, like, in Quinn Renekton, Quinn is supposed to win that matchup. She takes cleanse in top lane. If Renekton can never get on top of her, you sort of cleanse and then jump away, and then you, like, you take the phase rush or the PTA, but you basically can out, you can, you just have too much move speed with a W passive or phase rush to where you can just, like, harass down the Renekton, or you pick, uh, the other matchup he played was, I think it was Jace versus Gragas. Jace, a very early yeah. and aggressive laner, and Gragas sort of this, you know, scaling champion, whether you go tank or whether you go uh, full AP. But I, I just really dislike what Golden Guardians is doing in terms of picking a very volatile top lane matchup and then not doing anything to assist him. Like, they're not protecting him on dives. They're not sending any jungle pressure top side of the map. It just seems that Icon... Not, not that I'm faulting Iconic for that, but it just seems that, like, that is their game plan because anytime you ever see waves getting stacked against Niles... Um, they're never making they're never making any plays uh, bot lane in response to that, or like they're never punishing by taking a dragon or just in making a play anywhere else. It just constantly seems that Niles will get dove top lane and Iconic is like killing enemy wolves or killing enemy raptors or something like that. And I, I just really don't like how they're putting so much pressure on Niles to win these one v one matchups, and when he doesn't, you know, the game plan can really fall fall apart for them. And one thing I will say, though, and I would have to go rewatch the games to know exactly how things went down, but a lot of that is on the top laner to manage the waves properly and make sure that the other top laner can't build up those waves to, to get dove or to make sure that you are the one building up those waves to set up a dive for yourself. Um, now, again, I would have to go back and really see if I think it's Niall's fault or Iconic's fault, but um, that's just something to keep in mind that it's not always on the jungler to just go top. You need to have a gank opportunity to go top. And the other thing that I would say is um, it could be the game plan. I'm not saying it is because I'm not in the, you know, I'm not part of their scrims or anything, of course. But it could be the game plan is let's give Niles a counter matchup so that we don't have to babysit top and we could focus more gank spot. But to your point, um, not really enough happening in the bot or mid lane to warrant leaving top on an island. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. And that's just something else to keep in mind, I would say. Yeah. And I mean, it could also just be that like, like you just said, they they are giving Niles these advantageous matchups, and you know maybe it's maybe Golden Guardians is of the opinion that Niles is a good enough one v one player to go up against players like Impact or you know who did they play? They played against Alfari against Huni, and he has he's done all right in a couple of those uh, matchups, but we've we've clearly seen him be outclassed by some of these top tier top laners, and you know maybe Golden Guardians just thinks that. Niles is good enough to hold his own, but when the games are actually going on, it's very clear to see that he is a step behind just individually in terms of his weight, whether whether it be his wave management or you know lack of jungle pressure and like not necessarily like backing off when waves are getting stacked against him. But we we really don't know. But I do hope that when we see Golden Guardians in the LCS, like when when the regular season starts, that 
they either adjust this game plan of putting mu- putting more focused on Niles on the top side, or if they want to continue to you know put iconic on these scaling uh, heavy farm junglers, that they do pick something a little safer for him in the top lane. And I do want to hypothesize this because this isn't something I know or or even think, but just hypothesizing here. But Golden Guardians has made it very clear that this is not the year they're trying to win it all. They're all about development this year. And so maybe the thing they want to develop is giving Niles the ability to actually try to smash lane and to play those carries. And so even if they say, you know what, maybe we're going to lose by, by putting him on these picks, maybe that's something they're willing to risk as long as they could build up uh, a carry top laner maybe that's something they really want out of him and so they're trying to see just what they've got and I, i'm not saying they've completely written off the season and that's what they're going for but maybe that is their attitude is look we don't want a slow top laner or like a tank only top laner we want someone that we could put in a winning matchup and take over a game and so we're going to try to develop that and have him work on that again just hypothesizing but that could be the case um the other things that i want to talk about uh for golden guardian's sake is a blaze olive because I think he looked really good last week. And I don't think he looked awful this week, but he did have some awful plays, wouldn't you say, with the TF and the top lane? Yeah, I thought his his game one was actually decent. He was like one of the main reasons why they were actually still in the game. He had some pretty solid shockwaves on Orianna. Um, but yeah, his game two was questionable at best. And the thing is, you don't want, like, you try not to just hold on to those really bad plays um, because every once in a while, any pro could do something like that. Um, With that said, it looked pretty bad when you see him. You know he's already dead. And you see him flash to try to to get the gold card. And uh, at, at best, you won for one in that play. And it doesn't even look likely that you won for one that, and he ended up dying. And it yeah, looked like it looked really bad. for for the, for the play that we're referencing. Basically, Niles was getting three man top side, and Niles is kind of like trying to wait for his team by running into the alcove to try to delay as much as possible. And I don't remember if if a Blaze Olive TP'd up there or if he just walked up there, but Niles died, and then a Blaze Olive flashed into the middle of three people. An attempt to gold card, uh, then TFQ, a target who was like sixty percent HP, and he's like a level seven Twisted Fate, and then he realized that his play was fucked, and then he tries to TF Alti <laughs> out of the play, <laughs> and he just died. And now that I remember, he did TP up there because then he basically like he's now playing TF with no TP, no ultimate, so his champion is like useless no in the flash. grand scheme of yeah, and no flash, so his champion is like useless for the next two and a half minutes and has no summoner spells for the next five minutes. Oh, man. Uh, that That's the a result, play I wish I could forget. Yeah, the, the result was giving away another kill and having no pressure on the map for at least another two minutes with no ultimate. Um, yeah. So big yikes. But like you said, his Orianna was pretty good. Uh, I remember he was 4-0-0 at one point on the Orianna and had an opportunity to get a game-winning shockwave when you're that fed, but obviously that didn't end up happening. Uh, EG just looked good on the other side, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Um, Jazuke looked good. Honestly, you could say that about pretty much everyone in their lineup. They all looked pretty good for the most part. Yes, we do yep. see Jazuke make some run-it-down plays. That's just come to be expected at this point, man. Um, my worry is that, for, for EG, is that because Jazuke is so volatile, I don't know if he can afford to be volatile when you go up against the top tier teams 
like Team Liquid or 100 Thieves, for example. And we're going to be seeing that next week. So I'm a little bit concerned with how that's going to pan out when when you, they play TL, but uh, we'll talk about that in mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, anything else on this matchup? Anything else on EG that you wanted to talk about? Um, yeah, GGK is fun player to watch. Uh, there's also Defly again. I mean, we highlighted him last week, but he continued to have a good week again. Nothing absolutely insane this week, but it's the reason why it, I feel like it needs to be highlighted is just because of how bad the bot lane was last year with Bang and Zazel. I just think this bot lane's gotten so much better. Um, people that listen to this podcast know that I, I have really high expectations out of Ignar, and I think he's a great player, and I think we've seen him transo- transition over from FlyQuest to EG, and to con- he's continuing doing the same thing. His engages are great. He's got really good uh, map awareness. He seems to be in the right place at the right time, and it's really helping uh, Defly for sure, and Defly's looking good along with him. Yeah, I think it's, uh, for their bot lane specifically, it just seems like a better version of the FlyQuest bot lane from 2020. Uh, Ignar is still very solid. He's making the proper engages. He, he's finding great roam timings to, to be elsewhere on the map. But Defly, is kind of, he's just like a better version of wild turtle so far and you know i I do think that the bot lane dynamic that eg has right now is very similar to that previous uh the previous FlyQuest roster that ignar was on and kind of how that worked with wild turtle so i i think it's really good yep couldn't agree more uh next up we have team liquid versus FlyQuest. holy gap holy gap (laughs) another stomp um this is where Licorice kind of went the other way. Yeah. We saw him pop off on Friday, and then he kind of ran it down in this series. The one game on Gragas, he had like eight deaths, maybe nine. He had eight deaths. I think it was eight, though. I think he finished with eight. He had eight uh, deaths. Yeah, he died a lot. He didn't really look very good. He's taking fights. Even in the, the matchup against Alfari, he just got straight up gapped uh, when he was playing the Aurelia against the Kennen, which is in his favor. Now, if I remember right, I don't think... Um, that the snowball for the cannon for Alfari started with Licorice running it down. I don't think that's how the snowball happened. Maybe you could remember. I don't remember. But I do know that once uh, Licorice was already behind, he was taking fights against Alfari, and Alfari would just hit R, and she would die. You really yeah. die. And it's just like, it's like, Licorice, you should know you're not going to win that when you're behind like that. Yeah, cannon's just kind of a champion. Like, when the cannon is behind, it's really useless because you're not going to be dealing any damage, and you're pretty much a CC bot. But on the flip side, when you are getting fed, you're like a champion that deals a shit ton of damage and also has a bunch of CC. Um, it's funny because uh, what I, I remember, I don't remember if it was in the playoffs last year, but Licorice was actually, he was playing Cannon versus Broken Blade's Irelia. And I remember we saw that matchup, like Broken Blade killed him one time and it just kind of killed him on repeat. And we kind of saw the opposite this time, uh, where Licorice was playing the Irelia into Cannon this time. And... Cannon just got ahead, and from there on out, anytime Licorice would try to take some aggressive trade in top lane, Alfari, Alfari would just press alt, and Santorum would be right behind him, and they would just like kill Licorice down. One thing I also wanted to mention is yeah. he had a really weird build that game Licorice did on Irelia. What are we talking about? Licorice. Oh. He had he finished his build. He had Blade of the Rune King, a Man Immune, and a Sunfire Cape on Irelia. Interesting. And like I remember seeing that, and I was like, what is this build? Like, what's going on? It just seemed like a really weird build, and I, I don't know if that like played into it at all, but it just seemed really weird, and I didn't really understand what that's supposed to do. Maybe it's some like new Korean tech build, but I'd never seen it before, and it was just kind of weird. Yeah, it definitely is something noteworthy when you see him go for the Sunfire Cape. That's not something I would have thought. I didn't even notice it myself, actually. 
Um, but we talked about how this was Jose Diodo's debut for the LCS this weekend, but it was also Santorin's for this weekend. Mm -hmm. And he kind of showed up in this series too. I mean, let's be honest, top through bot, uh, TL was performing everywhere. So it's a lot easier to jungle when that is the case. But Santorin looked to fit right in, which is a really good sign for Team Liquid fans after what we saw last year with Broxa, right? The concern mm -hmm. around Team Liquid last year was the jungle. And yes, it's only one weekend, so let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But definitely a good start for Santorin, who, in my opinion, just gapped Jose Diodo in this series. Mm -hmm. And it's not even that, like, Santorin gapped Jose Diodo by just, like, killing him or invading his camps or whatever. Like, he just he was just so much better in terms of his positioning on the map finding proper timings when he needed to be like he needs to be protecting Alfari in the top lane and getting that lane snowballed or like whether it's his objective control like jungle is a lot more about like how you play the map versus like outplaying your opponent and yeah Santorin just was clearly so much better about it and it, it was kind of like Jose Diodo was playing much more like carry oriented and selfish champions like with the Hecarim and the Udyr like champions that want to be farming a lot and kind of playing for themselves but like Santorin just took the complete opposite approach and was like, I'm just going to play Talia and gank all the lanes. And yep. Yeah. And again, if we're being fair to Jose, uh, we definitely know that it was easier to jungle on the TL side of things where the matchups are, lot, are winning a lot more for Team Liquid. When you're jungling, your lanes just aren't winning. Or not even just not winning, but they're kind of running it down like Licorice was. You're not going to look good as a jungler almost no matter what happens. So... To, to be fair to Jose, I don't think he was put in the best of situations to have the greatest debut. Um, but uh, I, I, it was, was it the Friday games where he got his, that steal, the Baron steal? I think so. It was, right? That was in the first yeah. game against EG, if yeah. I remember correctly. So at least there was a highlight to take away. Like, it, it was nice to see Jose Diodo that got all this hype come away with a highlight play over the weekend. So even though it wasn't against TL and it wasn't in that series, still something for him to walk away with and, and to be happy with, uh, to build mm -hmm. up to, to live up to that hype. Yeah, uh, I also love that Johnson and Diamond, they did, they did all right in this series. They didn't get like completely obliterated like other bot lanes we've seen uh, by Tactical and Core JJ. Um, they ran the, the Seraphine Maokai in the first game, uh, which I thought was decent uh, because... From what I've heard, uh, Maokai is actually a really good counter into Leona. Um, and, and Johnson, he's playing... Like, man, Seraphine is just a bonkers champion. Like, that champion yeah. is not balanced. Like, I don't understand. Like, And with this new, like, uh, Staff of Flowing Water, Moonstone Renewer build, whether you play it mid, uh, bot lane, or support, I think it's a really solid champion and can do a lot of work in, like, melee dive intensive comps like kind of like as this like peelish sort of champion with the with the root and the the big aoe heels and like the jesus infinite range charm well someone on analyst desk even said mm, uh, i i don't want to guess wrong but i'm gonna guess anyways i think it was azale was saying like i'm kind of surprised we're not seeing more of it and so am i to be the champion honest, is the bonkers is... <laughs> yeah yeah definitely expect to see more of it or at least more bands of it in the, at the very least um mm -hmm. but anyways yeah not really a close series uh this one to me made tl look like the best team in the league uh but they're gonna have some tougher opponents as the tournament goes on so we'll we'll see uh as as the tournament goes on uh we good to move on to cloud nine tsm yep we got the most exciting series of the weekend was C9 versus TSM, the El Classic, no the El Clasico of the LCS. Regardless of whatever form the teams are on, whatever the rosters are, 
whenever the matches are c9 versus tsm always produces and is always a good matchup yeah it really really does and i would say both of these teams got off to really weak starts but i think they finally started to look like themselves um towards the end of this series you and i mentioned that game one not so much i think cloud nine kind of looked really bad uh, especially on perks's twisted fate some of those ultimates were just not really going anywhere uh yeah looked like he was trying to force plays and, and while i do think perks will eventually come into his own we're not seeing the perks that you should come to expect uh so far so far in the early going yeah i i think for game like game one was a really interesting game because it was very obvious that c9 was going for this heavy dive comp and like it was it was clear that that's what they were going to do they were going to try to like activate the tf early and often ulting into multiple lanes but just the way that the game played out it just became like a super like i don't really know how to describe it but when they had fudge like playing atrox top lane like you can't really go top lane with the tf when you have atrox versus dragus because atrox can never kill the gragus both champions just kind of sit in lanes sustaining against each other and you know we kind of saw like like you just mentioned perks became just like a bit inactive in that early game and he was trying to you know force plays with his ultimate whether it was top side or whether it was like trying to respond to plays bot side but it kind of just seemed that c9 was attempting the super dive heavy draft but just the way they executed it was just not correct at all yeah and i want to go to the other side of the mid lane matchup because it was power of evil on the lucian if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. right yeah um i want to point out that earlier we mentioned if you're going to pick the lucian into the twisted fate you want to see a lot of pressure put on that Twisted Fates so that they can't roam as effectively and they can't get as much. Um, and I think that that's something we saw P Power of Evil do a lot lot better. And when we talk about Power of Evil, it's almost always we see him on Control Mages. And that's something that I was really worried about for TSM was, look, are we just going to see him on Control Mages only and like they play too slow and fall behind? But in that game, it looks like they were able to put him on something aggressive and he was actually able to perform really well. And so if you're a TSM fan, really good sign that you're able to see Power of Evil and to see him perform on something that is not a control mate. Yeah, it, like it, it just seemed that like Cloud9 wasn't able, it just seemed that their champions didn't synergize very well. What we've seen and we've seen the TF be super successful with is other champions that provide a lot of cc to be able to do these long these super long cc chain combos or these high damage like point and click spells like we've seen very often the twisted fate get paired with the nidalee we've seen it get paired with the talia and we've also seen it get uh paired with the camille to be able to make make plays uh on you know elsewhere other than the mid lane and be reliably you know, able to lock down a champion. We've seen 100 Thieves really execute Twisted Fate super well, um, specifically in the first week of the lock-in tournament when they ran a lot of uh, Renekton, Talia, and Twisted Fate and were just, like, constantly making plays, whether it was doing their patented, like, bot lane 4v2 dive or, you know, punishing, you know, uh, topside for, like, I don't know, they were just going topside and killing people. And it kind of just seemed that Cloud9 wasn't really able to do much with the TF, like with the TF and the gold card specifically. We'd see a target get gold carded and they would kind of just run away from the Hecarim or like flash away from the Hecarim or like the Aatrox is just like too AFK of a, a champion in those kinds of scenarios. Like it was just really weird kind of how the whole C9 comp worked together. And it was funny because I actually went back and looked at the draft and 
Alistar was open for Cloud9, and they opted to actually pick Nautilus instead of picking Alistar. And we really saw in Game 2 and 3, once Cloud9 were able to get their hands on that Alistar, the switch really flipped, and they were able to execute on their comp a lot better. We saw in Game 2 that Cloud9 took a bit of a more direct approach with their draft in terms of, like, we're going to, like, they, they sort of realized their problems in that first game and then adjusted their draft in game two, adding a little, a lot, I guess, a lot more CC by picking the Gragas top lane and picking the Alistair support. Yeah, and to me, as soon as they got um, uh, Fudge on the Gragas, that's where he started to look a lot better, is when you're taking him away from the picks like um, uh, like Aatrox and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. and once you're going for that, for all of those dives, like we saw, like you mentioned, Vulcan on the Alistair was absolutely insane. He is disgusting at that champion. The one flank was really nice, uh, where he hex flashed over the wall and yeah. kind of snuck behind. That was a really nice play. And by the time mm-hmm. TSM realized he was behind them, the play was already over, and he made he made a three man headbutt pull combo. Um, I think no doubt they, they. I think they gave player of the series to Vulcan. No, they gave it to then, Sven. Or pardon me, yeah, Sven. But then they gave player of the week to Vulcan which was mm-hmm. kind of weird. Like, that was a little bit odd. But in, in my mind, no doubt, player of the series should have gone to Vulcan. I thought that he was absolutely insane. Um, but I think we're going to need to see more than just the Alistair in the long run, right? Yeah. Having Being able to play dive comps, don't get me wrong, that's really valuable. I, I, I think pretty much the optimal way to play right now. But you're going to need more as the year goes on. So I hope to see a little bit more out of him and see a little bit more diversity in his picks. But I mean, for now they're leaving the vault or they're leaving the Alistair open. So why not play it if if you can pull it off, right? Yeah, just for um, me, when I went back and watched the game two and three from C nine, where they were really able to get a handle on the draft much better, they were really you know they were really good games from C nine, and I think you can take a lot of positives away from uh, the small nuanced things that they did to keep themselves in the game and punish you know TSM's mistakes. I think it was in the in that second game, uh, TSM had winning. Uh, um, they had a winning mid lane and winning bot duo, and they went up two drags early. But Cloud9, you know, really was able to focus up and you know execute their engages properly. Like you just mentioned before, Vulcan had a, in that game had a really nice dive on mid lane uh, where Cloud9 sent four people into the mid lane to kill the TSM bot lane who had ended up swapping to mid lane. And pretty much from that point, it kind of flipped back into Cloud9's favor when they were able to just take the wind completely out of TSM's sail in that early game and then sort of dominated it. Yep. And another thing that I want to to note about TSM specifically is that I thought Hooney looked a lot better this week than he mm-hmm. did last week. Uh, last week, people were ready to, you know, Hooney's got to get benched. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I could see why people would say that. Like, I actually think that Hanser would have looked better last week. Um regardless it's good to see Huni start to play a lot better i thought his gragas was pretty good and he had some really nice ulties i still think he's a very volatile player very coin flip um do i think that's exactly what you want probably not but um definitely able to make some nice plays and so if you're a tsm fan that's another good sign to see because what we saw last week was not what you want in the top lane and this week was a lot better yeah his gragas was super super solid in terms of you know his laning his ultimates and team fights and you know in turn like he was actually like making good plays around the map when he was like tping bot lane or you know doing his job as gragas and team fights just to sit on top of zven and make it so that zven has to either hit the gragas 
or like try to go past the Gragas by like Kaisa ulting into the back line or something like that. Yeah. And just my last point uh, about Cloud9 is specifically, I think they need to find more ways to win. What I mean by that is I feel like all of their plays, all of their advantages are coming from the bot lane one way or another. Maybe not always in lane, but even after lane, like it's Vulcan setting up these plays. And I don't think you're seeing enough out of top mid jungle. I thought Blabber looked okay. I didn't think I didn't think he looked bad by any means. Actually, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, but I think he looked better. But for the most part, it's it's the bot lane that is really carrying this team. And I don't think that a team full of all stars like this should have to rely on just two players to be your win condition. Yeah, I for me, I think it's more we do need to see more out of Perks and Fudge. I think Blabber has been uh almost as solid as Ven and Balkan. There are, you know, the couple int moments that he is having, but in terms of his impact and importance to the team, I think Blabber's right up there with Sven Balkan. His kindred in game three was like absolutely insane. That guy was like constantly pushing the boundaries of jumping in or like surviving with one HP, dropping ultimates or like saving his teammates with ultimates or just like he was exerting so much pressure on that game three with kindred, like constantly just playing in the face of TSM and like I, I was actually, I was actually watching. Uh, Double have put out a YouTube video uh, today, and it was his like co-stream video where he was like, it was the highlights of him watching the Cloud Nine TSM series. But he was just saying how, um, from his time on Team Liquid, one thing that uh, he heard from Jensen was that he thinks that Blabber is like the best Kindred mechanically, like in the world, like best Kindred that he's ever seen. So I thought that was actually like pretty notable that like uh, you know a player as high level as Jensen and who's played against a lot of good players and has been in the pro league scene for such a long time thinks that Blabber has one of the best kindreds in the world which is pretty crazy to think about and I also saw another interesting stat about that and apparently Blabber is like now nine and one kindred all time in the LCS and you kind of think back to the early days of Blabber on C9 where he's playing the kindred zillion with Jensen well, so. let's put it this way. I, I don't think I've ever heard Jensen say any player in NA is the best in the world at something. Not that I can remember. Um, so I think that really puts things into perspective of how good he does think Blabber's kindred is. Because I, mm. I don't think I've ever heard Jensen say uh, you know, anything like that. But yeah, definitely definitely a good kindred player. And, and that if he's not playing aggressive, you're not seeing Blabber. Like That's what Blabber does. Mm -hmm. As long as you're coming out uh, on, with a positive in more cases than not, um, I think that you're more than happy to have Blabber as your jungler. Um, it's when you see him start to run it down like we did last summer that you start to get worried. But yeah. um, for the most part, he's been he's been pretty good. And I think that's definitely a good sign for Cloud9 fans. Yeah. To flip to the... Now, oh, what, were you gonna, what were you about to say? I was just going to say, I, I wanted to talk about BO3s if, if you're good. Oh, I, I was just going to flip to the TSM side of things for a little Go bit. For it. Just because I think there's actually a lot of things you can take away and be hopeful for as a TSM fan looking back at the series. Yes, obviously they didn't win, but like you mentioned, I think Huni had a much better performance um, in this week than he had last week. Um, I think Spika, even like in this series, I think Spika was, you know, just as impactful and as important as Ven and Vulcan were to Cloud9 as Spika was to TSM. Um, his smiting is just like out of this world. It kind of just feels like regardless of the situation, if you're in a 50-50 with Spika, more often than not, Spika is going to come out on top, whether he's stealing barons or whether he's stealing dragons. And I think TSM, while I think Cloud9 had a really big draft advantage in game two and game three, I think given you know what had really happened in the game and TSM's early game specifically, were actually played quite well in terms of 
speak uh, co covering for various lanes, uh, even getting uh, early kills. I think he killed, like he, they, they had a really good uh, two times in that game too. TSM had really good responses to top lane plays that Cloud9 were making. Uh, I remember Cloud9 made like a 2v1 dive in topside and TSM did a great job punishing with the TF alt in Italy. But I thought Spica actually had a really good series. Um, I think it's what we want to see from TSM and from Spica. Just the main issues that I think TSM is having. And the thing that we'll need to look look for going future is their bot lane in terms of Lost and Sword Art. It kind of just seems that Lost is getting put on Jin duty and is, you know, they're not showing any jungle pressure bot side. Sword Art is a little bit AFK in terms of the champions that he's playing. He played a Galio game, which he did a decent job in, but his Bard game specifically in game three and when I was watching the double if stream, he was kind of flaming sword art a lot for, you know, not really assisting his lanes and, you know, not doing as much as he could with that bard pick. 80 carries. They hate the bard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I, I think you're right because even though I don't want to just pin all the fault on the bot lane, we're not seeing a lot of advantages come out of the bot lane. And now yeah. you could pin that on they're not playing enough around bot or maybe the bot lane is just struggling in lane. I think I would have to go back and look at the games again to really have a more informed opinion on it. But if you're not seeing any advantages come out of the bot lane, you do know that something needs to be changed because I, I think that when you pay for a $3 million support, you should expect to see some advantages come out of that lane. Um, and it's not like Lost is is an absolute noob in the AD carry role. He's actually someone that was hyped up very, like, uh, well, a lot. And so... One way or another, I think we should expect to see some advantages come out of that bot lane rather than just falling behind in CS in just about every game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's down like 20 CS every lane I think I've seen yeah. him play. Mind and you, against Cloud9, like we did say, like in my opinion, I think so far this year, I think Cloud9's bot lane has been the best. I, I could take the argument for sure of Core JJ and Tactical. I think it's close. Um, but for me so far, I think that Cloud9's bot lane has been the best just because of the the carry potential and how they're basically putting the team on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, yeah, nonetheless, tough matchup. But as the season goes on, I want to see um, I want to see some advantages coming through that bot lane. Yeah, uh, I guess we're good to move on to the BO3 topic now. But one thing, you know, this was the first time I think we've seen best of threes in the like I can't remember the last time there was an actual best of three in the LCS. Like since time, six or since seven since or it, since it used to be best of threes because obviously when they moved to playoffs everything's best of five, but you know it, it really kind of brought up the idea again of you know having best of threes as a permanent like a, as the regular season format for the LCS because I think if you really just take a look uh, at these previous matches and you know what you can kind of gain out of extra games like you got to think about it going to the TSM Cloud Nine series. If it's a best of one, I, I know obviously, you know, it's a quarterfinal match, so it's obviously not going to be best of one. But again, if it was a best of one, we would have seen TSM win the series and there'd be so many questions about Cloud9's roster. But being a best of three, Cloud9's able to fix up their issues, you know, fix up their draft. And we saw Cloud9 actually play two really high level games. But I just wanted to get your thoughts, Blue Jay, of, you know, how you sort of look at best of threes versus best of ones. So here's the thing. For me as a fan, do I want to see best of threes? No doubt. Absolutely, I do. Um, I even tweeted out about it. Watching that series, the C9 versus TSM series was so good. Um, are they going to make that change? No, I, I don't think they will, and I don't think they will in the near future. And I think there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't. Um, the first reason, let's look at the other BO3s that happened, right? 100 Thieves versus IMT, Stomp. EG versus GG, Stomp. Uh, TL versus FlyQuest, Stomp, right? So 
just because one of the series was really, really good doesn't mean you should copy and paste that format into the rest of the league. So that's one thing I would say. Uh, the other is that it's really difficult to have, you can't do it all on one stream, right? The way they used to do best of three, I don't remember if it was season six or seven. The last time they did best of threes, they needed to do two separate streams. Now, if you do that, there's a really big issue that comes with viewership. Who's going to want to watch uh, FlyQuest versus Golden Guardians if TSM and Cloud9 are playing on the other stream? You're going to have one stream with no viewership whatsoever. And if I'm FlyQuest or Golden Guardians or one of these teams that doesn't have that many fans, what did I pay to enter the league for if I don't even have any fans watching my games? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think that those lower tier teams need to feed off of the viewership of the more popular teams. And I think that's just another one of the reasons why we're not going to see BO3s, even though they are great to watch uh, a lot of the time. Yeah, I think for me, yes, I totally understand in terms of the LCS's side, in terms of money, viewership, um, how it affects, you know, your sponsorships, you know, for the entire season. And obviously it's a, it, it would be worse to run BO3s as you would have to either you know, split the stream, split the broadcast into two separate streams, or you might have to completely change up how they do the broadcast. Maybe you'd go something similar to like the LPL and the LCK, where they play their matches across, um, in terms of the LCK, they play across four days, Wednesday to Sunday, and they hold two best of threes each night. Um, and in terms of the LPL, I think they actually play the entirety of the week since there's so much, they have, what do they have? 18 teams, 20 teams, they have 20 teams, right? Uh, 17 okay they have the 17 teams they have 17 teams but since they have so many teams they do have to run matches throughout the entire week each day of the week but so, so while i see that it might not be beneficial for the lcs i think in terms of being a competitive region and being able to you know compete on an international stage or the world championship stage i think it is really important for you know north america to bring back best of threes maybe it would be in a reduced fashion or, or maybe maybe wouldn't play a, a ton of best of threes over the entire season, but they might do it something like you only play each team twice in the whole year instead of five times, but you make them all best of threes. Because I would think one dynamic that's really important in best of threes and it's a, it's a value that really adds to it is the draft element. Because I think we've mm -hmm. seen a ton in the past that North America can get completely caught off guard by unconventional drafts or e even like cheese drafts um and that like one the better team can lose to a, a worse team because they got cheese in draft or they just simply had a bad draft and i think exhibit a is this cloud nine versus tsm series where cloud nine had a bad draft and you know it was kind of like draft diff a little bit in terms of the way that TSM's comp like interacted with Cloud9's comp. And once they were able to, you know, fix up those problems and recognize, oh, these were our issues and this is how we fix them, they were able to do it seamlessly. And I even look at some of the other games in terms of, you know, when you have rookie players or maybe academy players, they can get so much extra value out of extra games in a series. You look at that first Immortals versus 100 Thieves game and yeah, Immortals kind of got crushed in that first game, but in that second game, it was a little competitive, and we saw that Tapoon was able to to actually do some real work in the top side of the map against Someday, and that's something that I think a player like Tapoon would need to, one, you know, build his confidence in terms of, oh, okay, I can play against these players, and two, I'm gaining more experience. The same for the Golden Guardian side, you know, 
the more number of games that this team can play, the better off they will be. Yes, it, it might be a downfall for you know some some teams in terms of the fact that like maybe they do try to win their games through choosing draft or like I don't know. I, I just feel that best of threes they can give a more accurate representation of the standings, and it just also gives teams a lot more data and information to be able to work with to improve during the whole season. So I, I completely agree as to your points that, look, it's better for the league to improve. It's better for drafting. It's better for all of that stuff for the North American region to look better. Unfortunately, I just, again, I don't see it happening because it's a business first, right? Like you need to make money. And I don't think that you could do the, the method of making games from Monday to Friday or whatever it was. I don't think you can do games during the week for the same reasons that we talked about earlier um, when it comes to competing with other traditional sports. There's so many big and popular sports in North America, like the NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL. There's too much to compete with. Once the NFL finishes, you've got a clean slate of that, that weekend afternoon where there's not a lot of sports. I know hockey usually starts late at night, and so the LCS games are mostly over. I'd imagine basketball is mostly the same. I, I can't say that for sure, but I do know that most of the year, like the NFL would be what you would have to compete with in, in Saturday, Sunday, or rather Sunday afternoons. But the NFL is from September to basically January, February. And the LCS does not really happen during those times for the most part, right? So mm -hmm. I think as far as LCS viewership goes, the best thing to do is to keep it on the weekends in the afternoon. That's where you have the least competition for viewership. And that's just, again, where it's a business first. And so I don't think see them shifting away from that. Not to mention, if you do go with the two streams, you've got to look into getting more broadcast talent again. And I, I don't think that the LCS has been that great in finding amazing broadcast talent. I think they've been okay. But uh, if you need even more, I think that that's going to be a problem as well. Um, and you and I have mentioned many times, we've been quite vocal about um, what the broadcast looks and feels like if you don't have that optimal broadcast talent. Like it definitely hurts the, uh, the viewer experience, I would say. Mm -hmm. I, I guess one thing that I hope for the future is that the LCS does, you know, esports is still growing and will continue to grow. But I do hope that the LCS will reach a point uh, in North America, where it is comparable to the LCK and the LPL, where they're just as important as sports are in those regions. And, yeah. you know, whether that means there are more eyes on the LCS, so their viewership might not be as an issue and they are able to do um, something like a dual stream setup, or it's just popular enough where you can justify running games across more days of the week than just three. Yeah, and that's where I'm more open to maybe in the long term, things will change. In the short term, I definitely do not see that happening. I think it would be a really bad idea. I think the league would suffer, and I think uh, I think teams would want to end up dropping out of the league because if you can't get any eyes on your product, you're not going to get any sponsorship dollars, and if you're not making any money, peace, I'm out, you know? <laughs> so uh, that that's the main issue. And like you said, maybe in the long term, and I hope so in the long term, but for now, I think we'll have to be happy with best of ones. I think it's the best way to go. And the product is still good, in my opinion. BO1s are still good. So, yeah. All right. Pop off bean soup. Who's popping off, Blue Jay? Pop off. Uh, we talked about Vulcan earlier. I have to give him the pop off award. I think he is hard carrying Cloud9. I mentioned how the bot lane, I think, is. But I think more specifically, his Alistair is. I have to give it to him. I think that he is the biggest reason Cloud9 is picking up wins right now. I think if you have a um, 
a less impactful support on the Cloud9 roster, I think we'd be talking right now about how Cloud9 really needs to make something happen. And I think we'd be in panic mode if Vulcan wasn't on this roster. And so I got to give it to him. I think his Alistair flank was great. He's the one getting all of their engages off, or most of them, let's say. Yeah, he's popping off. So Pog Vulcan. <laughs> Uh, I gave it to Closer. Um, we kind of talked about it in the 100 Thieves Immortals series, but it was just pretty much the Closer show. I think in his first game, he was like 5-1-10 on the Nidalee, and in the second game, he was like 13-2-12 on the Graves. Um, Closer really just like put his stamp on that game like from start to finish, and I think he had a really good series. But I have a secondary pop-off, but it's not in the LCS. It's actually in... The LCK, because my boy Chovy <laughs> was 1v9ing Gen G in their series, uh, I believe it was like a day and a half ago. But uh, if you have, if you don't watch any LCK, um, I would urge you to look up the Gen G versus Hanwha Life highlights, because my god, Chovy was destroying the whole game. So for those that don't know, JNT is a really big advocate of Hanwha Life. Uh, that is his LCK team. And to be honest, I, I enjoy watching them too because Chovy is actually insane. I did not watch that series. I Banger watched the series. one prior. What was the series? Who was Hanwa playing against when he was popping off on TF but he couldn't 1v9 the game? What was that series? Um, uh, I can't remember. The KT Rolster one? It might have been. I don't remember. Think it was, the point yeah. is that Chovy is actually still insane, even though I don't think... The rest of his team is. Uh, I think he's a really exciting player to watch. Just, so just I just want to set the record straight. I've been a Hanwha Life fan since 2019, so I didn't just start following yes, this has. team because they got Chovy and Deft. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're I'm not a bandwagon a... fan. We all know. Hey, Pavan, Pavan knows. Pavan knows. Okay. Uh, bean soup. Um, for me, I I went with Immortals. Um, not even so much that I'm mad at how they're starting their academy team but it is disappointing to see a team starting their academy roster more than the lcs roster i tweeted out something about it basically i just want to know like i haven't done the research myself if someone does know please leave a comment uh in the youtube channel or tweet at me or something i would be really curious to know since the start of summer how many games have been started by the academy roster versus the lcs roster because i wouldn't be surprised if we find out that Immortals has started their Academy roster more than their LCS roster, which is crazy if that is the case. But um, yeah, it's just disappointing. So that's bean soup. Uh, I gave it to Golden Guardians and specifically the point that I mentioned before, how I really don't like this play style that they're going with uh, when picking topside volatile matchups and then just having zero jungle pressure or zero help throughout the entire game. I think it's a lot to put on a rookie player in Niles, and obviously that team is full of a bunch of rookies, but when you're a rookie team going up against uh, players who are going to be much better than you individually, I, I feel like you'll get, you're going to have to help them out. You can't just leave them completely on an island against some of the best top laners in the league. Like Who, who, who did Golden, Golden Guardians played against Impact, uh, Alfari, Huni, and uh, Sunday. Like the... Three of, the, three of those are the best three top players in the league, and Huni, while he is a coin flip, he can still have good performances. We're obviously seeing more bad than good, I think, but Huni is still a decent top laner, and in, in all of those games, he's pretty much like losing pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. I, I don't know if I really want to fault them as much as you have, but I, I, I see your argument, and I, I don't know if I fully agree, but I, I get it anyways. Let's put it that way. 
Okay, uh, we're going to move on. We're going to do a little preview of the semifinals as we're moving into the last week of the lock-in tournament. First matchup we got is 100 Thieves against Cloud9 on Friday, and then we will have TL versus EG on the Saturday with the finals happening on Sunday. So Friday, 6 p.m. EST, right? Is that what you said? I didn't say the time, but if you say 6 oh, p.m. EST... 6 p.m. EST, yeah. 3 p.m. PST then on Friday. Um what are you expecting? Is there anything that you want to see in this particular series? Is there anything that you're expecting or, or, or anything like that? Well, one thing I hope in terms of the drafting is I hope that both teams can recognize the strengths of the of the opposing team and draft accordingly. Like, I don't want to see 100 Thieves giving over the Alistair to Cloud9, and I don't want to see Cloud9 give over the TF Nidalee or the TF Talia combo to 100 Thieves. Cause I think those, those champions are very, you know, as, I don't, maybe not essential, but they're very important to the way that both of these teams like to play their games. So for me, what I'm more worried about is I, I'm very worried for cloud nine specifically, um, which I think might come as a shock to a lot of people. Maybe not. I don't know, but I don't think cloud nine has looked like a top team. Um, I, I think they've looked okay. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, my my fear actually is that they're mostly winning through the bot lane, like I said. But just if you remember, the other bot lane's pretty freaking good, right? Like Vulcan mm -hmm. is the the guy that's making the engages and making so many plays. But I just want to remind people that who he has done the same on the other side for 100 Thieves, he's looked great. And if you ban that Alistair, I don't know what weapons Cloud9 have because I think the macro for 100 Thieves has been better than the macro from Cloud9, and I don't think it's really been close, honestly. Um, and I also worry for the top lane matchup. I don't think Fudge has been very good. I don't think he's been the worst top laner I've ever seen, but definitely not living up to the hype uh, that he should or that he kind of put on himself by saying that, you know, the LCS players are brainless. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think that Someday is going to win these matchups. Despite Someday not looking that great this past weekend, I still have more, way more confidence in him than I do in Fudge. And I think that that I think they're going to win through top lane. And if Cloud 9s win uh, win condition is only through the bot lane, I worry about whether they're going to be able to get advantages when you're going up against another top tier bot lane. Yeah, I think for me, um, I don't. I definitely agree. I think the main concern is Fudge up in the top lane. I think if we see Fudge get put on a bit of an island, and whether or not that. You know, Cloud9 puts him on um, what I call like a very AFK pick in terms of like an Aatrox or an Orn or something like that. That is, I do not want to see Fudge on that. I, I do not want to see you give Renekton over to Someday. Uh, I think that if given just like a straight individual 1v1 matchup in top lane, Someday is going to win that probably like 8 out of 10 times. So th that's the main thing I'm nervous about for Cloud9. But in terms of the rest of the team, I think they all match up really well against each other. Um Although Perks, you know, he hasn't been um, as dominant as everybody thought that he would be coming into the LCS for his first couple of games. I don't think that any can anyone can deny, though, that his laning is actually still very good. Um, he, yes, he's not like popping off in terms of like the kills or the impact that he's having on the map. But in almost every game, minus his first game where he was playing uh, the Yone against EG, he's won his lane in almost every game. Even in that first TSM game you mentioned where he was, you know, Power of Evil was playing Dilution very, very well. He was actually even in farm in a lane you're supposed to lose. Uh, in turn, that makes him ahead in gold because he's playing the Twisted Fate. Even in the group stage matches that he had against uh, Immortals, Dignitas, like, 
He was doing very well in his lane. He was getting up about 40 or 50 CS come like 20 minutes. And it kind of, you know, he, I think in the, the next two games against TSM where he played the Akali in game two and the Galio in game three, um, I think he still played very solid. He did his job on that Galio in the third game. And in the second game, he did a very good job exerting a lot of pressure on the on the Akali, although it didn't translate into a ton of kills. You know, the threat of the Akali and him playing it, you know, decently, you know, he, he does his job. I, I do think, though, that Cloud9 will need some sort of pop-off performance whether or not that comes from perks or whether or not that comes from their bot lane. I think, though, in a straight up like 5v5 in terms of macro and, you know, going late game, I do favor 100 Thieves right now. But in terms of Cloud9, I think if they can get a lead and get ahead and play some comps that are similar to the ones that they have been playing, or maybe they do try to put more eggs in the perks basket, I think that Cloud9 still can't take this series. But I do view this series very close. I'd give it about a 50 50. So, what do you got as far as a score prediction? Um, I am going to actually predict Cloud9 in this one. The main thing, and I, we did touch on this a little bit before, is it seems that 100 Thieves, we do want to see them go up against a bit better of competition. And I do think they have been winning a lot of their games strictly because they are the better team individually and macro-wise. But I do think that Cloud9 minus top lane is either equal or better than their opposing laners individually. And I think if, as long as Cloud9 doesn't make any like major blunders in terms of their drafting or their early games, I, I think, you know, if they can go to a game against 100 Thieves on equal or slightly ahead footing, they have a good chance to take it down. So I'm going to go so, three, one Cloud9. So I would say that they should be better individually in the lanes. Like Cloud9 should be better than 100 Thieves, but I don't think they have been. Um, I actually think DeMonte has a lot more pressure uh, for his has added a lot more pressure for his team than Perks has. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but I think DeMonte has looked better. And that's that's a really big problem for Cloud9. And as far as the jungle matchup, that's where I'm really looking to, to Blabber to step up because Closer has looked so good so far this year. This is where Blabber is going to need to step up and prove that he is top tier jungler in this series. Um, if, if he wants to be considered amongst the best, you need to be able to, to stop Closer. However, I'm giving the edge to 100 Thieves. I think they've just looked better as a whole, uh, better macro-wise, better player-by-player. Player. Um, I'm giving 100 Thieves the 3-1, actually. Um, I think that they're just better. Like, there's not much else to say. I think they've looked better. I think they already have the synergy coming into the series, whereas I don't think Cloud9 has built up that synergy yet. And I'm a, I'm really afraid that Cloud9 won't have that bot lane win condition. If you're not banning Alistair, I think you're kind of trolling it through if you're 100 Thieves. I expect it to be banned, and you have to force Vulcan to show that he can make a, uh, he can show that he's a win condition on something else. As far as picks go, um, both teams have played a little bit of Galio. I want to see Rakan in this series. Um, I've mentioned before why I like Rakan specifically with or against the Galio. Um, why I like it against the Galio is it's very good for baiting out the Galio ult. You can engage with Rakan and jump right back out, and you force so much, you force that, uh, that Galio to blow his ultimate, which is such a huge part of that team fight comp. And so that's why I really like the Rakan if you're playing against the Galio, but obviously with it as well. Like, the, you can go in with Rakan and Galio ult as well. It's also another great combo. So with the Galio that, we're being, that we've seen played, I think Rakan is such a good pick. So I don't really care who plays it on either side. I just think it's a really good pick right now. Um, and I think we should see it. With that said, um, Rakan is not so good into Alistair or Leona. 
And so if we don't see it, I would expect to not see it if those two champions are picked um, just because they counter the, the Rakan fairly well. So as long as those champions are not picked or they are, you know, they're banned, um, I want to see Rakan in this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, bot lane will probably be the key to success for this series. Um, just in terms of, you know, what I think, I think Vulcan and Huhi are really important to both of their teams respectively in terms of what they provide in the team fighting, whether, you know, Huhi's done a really great job on the set specifically. I think that's one of his best champions and was in the summer split. Um, I think you don't want to give that over to Huhi. And just like you mentioned with Vulcan, you don't want to give him Alistair. If you give, if you give him Alistair, like you said, you're pretty much trolling. I agree. Uh, anything else, or do we want to move on to the next matchup? We'll go to the next one. Next up, this is the Saturday game. Uh, Saturday, now, the schedules are the same. Like we mentioned before, it's 6 p.m. EST on Friday. It's 4 p.m. EST on Saturday, 1 p.m. PST. Um, this is where we got TL going up against EG. Um, this series, I, I think we need to see a little bit more out of EG. They came out of the gate looking really, really good. And I didn't think they looked that good as as the uh, as the lock-in tournament has gone on. So I think they really have their work cut out for them. And I think that EG is going up against the best team in the league at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, I think just if you look at these two teams, it just seems that like TL is just one step ahead of them in, in just every role. Like you look at Alfari versus Impact. You give it to Alfari, um, Santorin, Svenskaren, Centaurin, like just down the line, it just feels that all of the Team Liquid players are just the better version of the EG players. But to well, that and point... And we're going to get... So go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, to that point, do I think that means that TL is just going to completely dominate EG? I don't actually, because I think that EG has done a pretty good job in terms of the way that they're drafting and the way that they're playing. And they're playing a bit of their own style in terms of putting mid lane on these more unconventional picks we've seen uh the two we've seen two rise games out of jizuke and even in the support role the only team that we're really seeing rakan from uh is is eg with ignar his pretty much best champion so i do think that eg will give team liquid some different looks in terms of how they want to draft and what they want to do and i do think this will be you know eg is a much is a much better team than a lot of the teams that TL has faced. So I think it, the series will be close, but I definitely think it's Team Liquid sided. I think it's going to be most exciting to see the top lane matchup, right? That's what everyone wants to see is Impact, who was let go from Team Liquid, go against his replacement. Like, this is a classic. You see this in so many different matchups uh, whenever there's a replacement. Like, if Cloud9 were to go up against Licorice, for example, it's just it's fun to see those matchups play out. And mm -hmm. especially since we've seen Impact look so good so far this year, I think he's really going to be tested with Alfari, and I think this is probably a matchup that both of them are looking forward to a lot. Um, this is going to test Impact, I think, more than it will test Alfari. I think Alfari overall has looked better, even though Impact has looked so good. I know that's crazy to say. I still think Alfari is just a better top laner, and um, we've talked about how Impact has looked so much better, but this is really his biggest test now. If Impact can look good against Alfari, then I think we really have a conversation for who the best top laner in the league is. At the moment, for me, it's Alfari, though, and I think we're going to see that uh, in, the, in the series coming up uh, this weekend. I am actually going 3-0 team, team Liquid on this one. I actually don't think the series will be that close. I think TL has looked... Um, I want to say G2-esque in the sense that they're absolutely rolling the early game so hard 
that even when they're throwing some of the game away towards the end, it feels like they're not even like they don't really care. They're just messing around that it's kind of got that G2 feel to it. Whereas like they're just so much better than the other teams that they're just limit testing all game long and that they still come out on top. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with 3-1 with Team Liquid because I do think, well, like I said, there are avenues for success for Team Liquid. I mean, sorry, for EG, whether that be, you know, a pick out of Botland, like a, a Rakan game out of Ignar where he just like really pops off or this unconventional mid pick from Jazuke that could catch Team Liquid really off guard, whether that be something like a Rise, whether that be something like an Echo. Um, I'm trying to think of other like Jazuke style champions. Um, I don't know, but I do think there are avenues for success for EG, and given the course of at least three games, I think they will take one of them. Interesting. Yeah, I I don't see it being out of the realm of possibility, but again, yeah, three zero for me. Um, I think this is where we're going to need to see Jazuke on the good side of Jazuke, and we need to see only that side because, like I mentioned before, like there's sometimes where he's running it down and he's making some troll plays. I don't think you can afford to do that against Team Liquid, honestly. I, I really, really don't. And uh. Well, Core JJ's continued to look great. That bot lane's continued to look great. Um, while I do think EG, we mentioned their bot lane looks very good. I just think Team Liquids has looked better. Um, yeah, they just have more impact on the map. They have a lot more um, pressure around the map. They always seem to get to their the objective first, and they get the fight that they want because they're there first. And I think that's going to be the main reason why TL is going to come out on top in the games is because they'll come out on top in team fights by uh, being the ones to control vision around the Herald, around dragons, around Baron, around so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So just to play on just a little bit further, but considering all the matches are going to be this this next weekend, um, in your scenario, you have Team Liquid and 100 Thieves in the finals. Just give me your right. quick uh, match score there, or your prediction there, if, if that's the finals. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to go 3-1 in the favor of Team Liquid. Um, the reason why is because, again... I don't think it's much different uh, from the matchup against EG, specifically in the top lane. I think Someday is very good. Uh, however, I just think Alfari is better. And I, I definitely think that um, when you have a guy that's looked as good as Alfari... Now, look, I don't like to just look at stats and say a guy's good because he's got a good CSD. But, I mean, let's be honest, his CSD has actually been insane. It hasn't been a slight lead. Like, he's been up 15, 20 CSD... And yes, the sample size is small, but that is a significant number. And he's playing a lot of different champions. When you're able to do that in so many different matchups, um, that's something that's really scary. And so I think that there will be a gap in the top lane. And I also don't think that Closer will be able to have as much of an impact on the game when you're going up against Santorin. Santorin's very good in the early game. And I think that's where Closer has gotten most of their leads for 100 Thieves, as well as their roaming, right? Like they like to make macro plays with the Twisted Fate. Uh, I don't think T or I don't think TL will have any issues with answering the the macro the early game macro that 100 Thieves puts out and so three uh, one for me in that series. Yeah, uh, so in my scenario, I would have C9 Team Liquid in the finals, and I, I'd give it a three two to Team Liquid in that in that series. Um, my reasoning for that is yes, while I do think Team Liquid currently is a much better team than Cloud9, um, my prediction is that Cloud9 will beat 100 Thieves, and I think. That is because they are now getting a better understanding of uh, how their team is working and what they want to accomplish in the draft. And I think they would make improvements going into the series against 100 Thieves. And if they beat them, I think that, you know, will carry a lot more confidence going into the finals and having another week of solid improvements. So I think that would put it as a much closer series. But I don't know. I, I just feel like a C9TL series, like 
feel like it'll just go five games. It's really interesting. You seem to have a lot more confidence in Cloud9 than I do. Um, that, that seems to be the difference between our opinions. I guess, yeah. Um, but I do agree with you. Like, a week does not sound like a long time. But considering they've only had about two, three weeks to, to begin with in the first place, I do think at, in when making that comparison, a week is actually a really long time. Um, yeah, because so maybe we do see a, a different version of Cloud9. Maybe we do see Perks start to have those pop-off performances like we expected to see him come into the LCS with. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this way back uh, at the start of the season before the lock-in tournament, and Cloud9, they're making a major switch-up to their play style in terms of how their team functions with getting rid of Niski and getting rid of Licorice and bringing in Perks and Fudge. Perks is a... Yeah. Uh, where was I going with this? Sorry. Um, just like them changing the composition of their team will take a while to, will take a while for them to get it together. And when you look at it from like the team liquid and hundred thieves side, I think they're coming into this season, you know, with a lot of similarities to their last season. hundred thieves is pretty much just the golden guardians from last year. Plus Sunday, which is just naturally going to be better because you're getting an upgrade in the top lane. And yep. sort of the way that team liquid seems to function is very similar to, uh, their previous, I think it is a little bit different in the fact that they are they can throw a lot more resources in the top side of the map with Alfari because I completely agree with you. Alfari is the best top laner in the league, and I think he's a very strong player, great addition to the league, and I think will in turn improve the rest of the league, specifically in the top lane. But I, I do think that it will take time for Cloud9 to really get it together. And, you know, like you said, a week may not seem like a long time, but when you are a new team and you're trying to figure everything out, a, a week can be very important in terms of your progression as a team. Yeah, no, I definitely do agree. Uh, anything else before we move on to closing out the episode with our quick news? Yeah, we got the quick news. First up, we got uh, FlyQuest. Uh, so if people remember last year, they were TreeQuest, SeaQuest. This year, they are BeeQuest. Yeah, and so they have a new initiative. The reason why we wanted to let everyone know about this is because it seemed like last year there was a lot more excitement built around their um, their initiatives, and uh, this year, honestly, I don't, I haven't heard as much talk about it, and so I, I do think that um, even though I'm look, I'm not gonna lie, I really don't know much about bees. Okay, <laughs> I don't, um, but I do know that FlyQuest is apt to having like really good initiatives and doing good things, and so we do want to share with you guys what their new initiative is. This year, it's, uh, like you said, BeQuest. But what they're doing is, um, for each kill, they are donating a dollar. For each Ocean Drake, they are donating $10 in their LCS or Academy team. And then for each win, uh, it's $100, again, for their LCS or Academy team. And that's being donated to the Bee Conservancy. Um, so if anybody is interested in that stuff, you can go to thebeeconservancy.org. Uh, so yeah, you know, just a nice little initiative that FlyQuest is doing. Um, you know, let's go fly quest. Uh, next up, we had uh, some news come out a couple of days ago that Captain Flowers is now uh, freelance. Uh, he's not completely tied down by Riot Games and the LCS. So I, I wonder what that means for his appearance on the broadcast, whether, you know, it might go down or if we'll see him, you know, potentially casting other leagues or esports for that matter. It kind of feels like whenever you hear somebody that they're moving to a freelance position. I feel like more, more often than not, it kind of means that they're either going to move on from the LCS or their appearance will shrink. No. So I don't think that's the case. I think actually in the announcement, he made it very clear that he's going to continue to be on the LCS broadcast. Usually why people go um, 
uh, on their own kind of thing um, is because you actually get paid more. <laughs> like they have said straight up that you have more ways of making money and you're more valuable. You're not under a contract to work for, right? You get paid by appearance or something along those lines. Um, I've heard them talk about it before. I remember them talking about it when Shox uh, did the same thing. Um, so I don't think people need to worry about Captain Flowers no longer being on the broadcast. He will still be there. But to the point that you made, we will get to see him do other things. Now, what those other things are, I don't know just yet. But um, I think that it's a good thing because let's be honest, Captain Flowers is one of the best casters there is in the game. And so I think it's good to be able to see him do more than just the LCS and or world. So I think, yeah, it's a pretty good thing and it's good for him. So congrats to uh, Captain Flowers for going freelance. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't mean that like right away, like it, it might be that, like he is doesn't appear on the LCS or anything like that. I just meant like moving into the future, like even with Shocks and the LEC, there are, you know, a couple weeks in uh, a split where shocks will not be on the broadcast and they'll either bring in somebody like a machine or they'll bring in a different person to host the show because last year uh, and even in late 2019 we actually saw shocks do some csgo related uh hosting in terms of uh hosting events and whatnot so i, I just mean like looking further into the future kind of what that means for captain flowers but it kind of it has seemed that when people do transition to a freelance role slowly over time, they might either, you know, move on to something else or, you know, in Shox's case, she does still hang around, but I'm just thinking to like the Avali stuff or like the frost current when she went freelance and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, next up, what was on the list next? We got, uh, we found, uh, we got the news that Finn from CLG, his visa is approved. So that means yeah. Finn will be here for the start of the LCS regular season in the spring, but no update or news on Broxa. And from the previous video that he had sort of put out, it was pretty, he was pretty unsure about when he was going to get his visa and what his timeline was like for getting back to uh, North America and being in turn, being able to compete. So for now uh, we have Finn, but we still don't know about Broxa. And if there's no Broxa, that means we have Griffin slash Wiggly, and that's not good for CLG. Yeah, it seems like Broxa's getting. He's always the one getting screwed the most by the visa issues. Honestly, yeah, uh, I feel bad for Broxa, but hey, you know what? At least we're getting Finn, and at least he can start to build some synergy with his team. So good for him. Uh, last up, uh, very recently, uh, it was announced that Kelsey Moser is joining evil geniuses and yep. what, what's the role the again competitive yeah. yeah she will be the competitive and collegiate development lead that's that is her new title uh, i think that was just announced today actually at the time of recording so uh, today is monday january 25th for those listening to the recording so yeah that was just announced today so good for her um she worked with 100 thieves last year and it did seem weird that she didn't really have any position working in uh, any North American LCS or anything like that. Um, it does seem like finally she found something that's good for her. And she worked a lot with the development of 100 Thieves last year. So it seems like a natural fit uh, that she should continue to be part of the development system in North America. So good for her. Yeah. Oh. And that's going to be it, right? Nothing else to share. I think that's it for episode 27. Uh, thank you so much to those that showed up to the live show. Uh, thank you again to those that have been listening to the YouTube VOD. Our YouTube numbers have gone up a fair bit. So thank you so much to all of you that listen on YouTube. Please do hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, follow us on Twitter, guys. We're trying to grow a following everywhere we can. And as, as usual, I do want to remind you all that we are also available on different podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, 
uh, SoundCloud, all of those things. So if you do want to uh, listen to us on a different platform, the options are there for you. I don't think we're on SoundCloud. Oh, I thought they were supported by Anchor. So let me just say this. All of the or all of the podcast platforms that are supported by Anchor, we are on all of those. There's like eight of them. Yeah. So, But all, uh, all, all the links are going to be, whether it's in the YouTube VOD, link will be in the description. Whether you're watching live on Twitch right now, the links are in the, the down below, like where the little banner thingies are. And most of them are linked through our social medias or even if you go on our Anchor page, um, Everything related to us is linked on there. So pretty much anywhere where you can find us, the rest of the stuff is linked. And one last thing, if you guys are looking to support us, we would love your support. Please go over to patreon.com slash clown fiesta podcast. We are still looking for patrons and we hope to continue to do this full time and your guys support on Patreon. Patreon would help us do that. So thank you so much guys for your support. We will be back again next Monday, 9 p.m. EST, 6 p.m. PST live on Twitch. If you want to catch the live show, we'd love to have you guys there. So thank you so much. And this has been episode 27 of the Clown Fiesta podcast. Later. <laughs>